Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As a church here at Saints Peter and Paul, we're studying the gospel of Matthew during the season of Lent. Uh, if this is your first time here, we have copies of the gospel of Matthew on a table in the back. Um, we've given out at least uh, 350 or more of these already. If you don't have one, it's our gift to you today. If you brought one, I invite you to take it out today as we're going to be following very closely to the text in Matthew chapter 16 in just a minute. But we are just about uh, halfway through the gospel of Matthew, almost exactly halfway through. And so I want to recap where we've come from so far. At the very beginning of the gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, we were introduced to the lineage of Jesus, to his family tree. And we saw that he's a son of Abraham and a son of David, the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. We watched as Jesus began his public ministry and people were curious about him and they followed him. And he taught them in the Sermon on the Mount of what it meant to be a follower of his. After that, we watched as Jesus demonstrated power and authority over storms, over sicknesses, over sin, over death itself. And now... In chapters 11 through 16 of Matthew, Matthew wrote these chapters in such a way in the middle of this narrative to get us asking the question, who is this man Jesus? Who is he? Last week, Pastor Kevin preached on Matthew chapter 11 where John the Baptist a relative of Jesus is the one who baptized him, sent some of his disciples to Jesus to double check, are you the one who was promised to come or should we look for another? And now here in chapter 16, in chapter 16, Jesus turns the question to his own disciples. Again, if you've got this journaling Bible or any Bible with you, we're going to be following closely in the text today, starting in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And so I want you to follow along here with me. Here in chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, that phrase, Son of Man, this is, this is Jesus way of speaking about himself. It's his favorite way to talk about himself. There is a reason why, but I would have to go way into the Old Testament and explain all, a whole bunch of stuff to you. I'd be happy to do that, but for the sake of time today, just know that when Jesus says, who, who's the Son of Man? He's saying, who do people say I am? And the disciples respond, well, out there people are saying, I don't know, that you're John the Baptist. In chapter 14, Herod, who's the king of Israel, has just beheaded John. John is dead. But even Herod himself in chapter 14 says, maybe Jesus is John the Baptist who's come back to life. So some people think that. And the disciples tell Jesus, some other people are saying you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other Old Testament prophets who's come back. Okay, so that's what's out there. But then Jesus turns his sights on his disciples and he says to them, well, who do you say I am? This is a question that needs an answer. 
Not a rhetorical answer, a real answer. And not just from the disciples, but from you. You need to reckon with this question. How do you answer it? I'm going to give you a minute here, more like 30 seconds. I'm not going to say anything. If you've got your journaling Bible and a pen, turn to page 91 where the question is asked. Write an answer. If you didn't bring anything to write with, think. What would you do if somebody came up to you right now in your life, whether they're a believer or not, and they said to you, who's Jesus? How do you answer? Let me pause for a minute. All right, maybe you've got an answer to the question. Maybe not. My goal today is that at the end of this sermon, maybe you wrote something down, maybe you didn't, but I, I hope that either your answer is validated or at the end you've got something to change to your answer. But by the end of this sermon today, I, I hope that you have an answer to this question and you actually know what it means for you and for people in this world. That's my goal for today. So Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds like this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is an incredible answer from Peter. An incredible answer. This is the first time that anyone has said to Jesus, you are the Christ. Don't know what that means? Well, here's what it means. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word from the Old Testament that means anointed one. In the Old Testament, people were anointed into a specific purpose that God had established for them, to be God's representative in the world. So in the Old Testament, in particular, kings were anointed. So a king was a kind of Messiah. But if you know the Old Testament, none of these kings were good. I mean, I shouldn't say, none of them were perfectly good. None of them were perfectly good. Many of them were very evil. And so the promise of old from the prophets was one day there will come a Messiah, the Messiah, who will rule and reign over Israel and the entire world in a perfect manner forever and ever and ever. The Messiah, therefore the Christ, because that's the Greek word. So the people of old have been looking for this Messiah, waiting for this Messiah. And now in Matthew's gospel, we've been asking the question, who is this one? Who is this man, Jesus? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. In Matthew's gospel, if you go back to verse 1 of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 1, verse 1, Matthew tells us right away, Jesus is the Christ. And at the end of Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew says, Jesus is called 
the Christ. So this gospel has been written in such a way right from the get-go for Matthew to be walking us through to get us to the point of saying, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? And now Peter delivers the answer. He is the Christ, the King who will rule and reign forever and ever. Peter's answer is spot on, and Jesus even tells him, Peter, you're right. And on your confession of faith, my church will be built. Amen, Peter. But then Jesus strictly charges his disciples, don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ. What? I thought we're supposed to tell people who you are, right? Just imagine contextually for a minute. Again, Herod is the king. Herod just had John beheaded because John had told him not to take his brother's wife as his own wife. Can you imagine what Herod would do to somebody if that somebody claims to be a rightful heir to his throne? So Jesus says, don't tell anybody. It would seem in Matthew's gospel, if if you're the first reader of this, as you're reading along, it would seem like things are trending in a positive direction for Jesus and his disciples. Again, up to this point, we've seen nothing but the authority of Jesus. We've seen him with power, with authority, and, and, and now he's going to be the king? Of course, things are going in the direction that they should go, right? Well, then we get to verse 21. In verse 21, Matthew records this. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. All right, as a 21st century Christian, I'm assuming you're all Christians, but you might read these words in hindsight and go, yeah, of course. That's like the whole Christian story. Jesus died and he rose from the dead. Of course, Jesus If you were a first century Jewish person like Peter and the disciples, the Messiah was not supposed to die. The Messiah was supposed to drive out enemies and rule and reign. Again, think about what Peter has seen thus far. Jesus is the one with authority and power over everything. And so Peter, when saying you're the Christ, is assuming that Jesus is going to swoop in and take over Herod's throne with power and authority. Why not? Go to Jerusalem and die and suffer? No way, Jesus. So Peter, as a good disciple, takes Jesus aside, puts his arm around him, He says, Jesus, no, 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 no. I know, I know you think that's what's happening. I know it seems like the world's out to get you. I know, Jesus, but I know who you are. I believe you, Jesus. No way, no how are you going to have to die. I don't believe it. Never, Jesus. Enough of this defeatist talk already. If you're going to be God in God in this world, then, then you should show up in a way that looks like success, not defeat. People do this all the time. We do it too. We say things like, 
if God is so good, so powerful, so loving, then why? Why does he not just swoop in and fix it all? Maybe he's not so good or powerful or loving, right, Christian? Jesus responds directly to Peter in a harsh, intentional way. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Peter is acting like Satan. Satan's job, his main goal, is to get people to think only of the things of man and never think of the things of God. He is our adversary. He wants us to only think of the things of man and never think of the things of God. Satan's job is to thwart and prevent Jesus and his followers from doing what Jesus came to do. And that's exactly what Peter is doing in trying to prevent Jesus from dying and rising. Do you remember when Satan first showed up in the narrative of Matthew? It was in chapter 4. Jesus had just been baptized. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he went into the wilderness. And while he was in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. The devil came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I've got an offer for you. I've got an offer for you. You're hungry, right? Well, let me, uh, let me give you what you want. Possessions, is that what you want? You want, you want food? You want, you want some stuff? Jesus, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Is that what you want? Jesus said no. So the devil said, well... What, what, about, what about protection? What if, you, what, if you, what if we go up high, throw yourself down, and, and, and the angels will come and protect you? I can help you out with that, Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll guard and protect your life. You want that, Jesus? Jesus said, no. The devil came up to him and he said, I know what it is. I know what you want. I know what's in your heart. I know, I, know, I know you want power. I know you want, you want to rule and reign. You can have all of this. He showed him the whole world. You want it, Jesus? You can have it, Jesus. I'll give it to you. And Jesus said, No! Leave me! The Greek word is hupago. Get out of my presence! Leave me alone. And the devil left him. The devil left him. The devil left Jesus alone. Now when Jesus speaks to Peter, the exact same phrase shows up, the same Greek word, hupago, leave me alone. Leave me out of my presence. Get out of here. But to Peter, it's a little bit different. In chapter 4, Jesus says to the devil, get out of here, and that's it. Here he says, get behind me. It doesn't translate all that well, but essentially what it says in Greek is, leave me, to Satan, 
And to Peter, get behind me. Satan, out of here. Peter, get in your rightful place as a disciple and don't block me, but follow me. Don't block me, follow me. And this makes sense because this is exactly what Jesus says next to Peter and the rest of his disciples. Verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Satan in his ways. Everything he's trying to do is to thwart Jesus from going to the cross and to stop you from following Jesus to the cross. That's the devil's goal. But if we say we follow Jesus, we got to follow him to the cross. Because in each of us, living within us is an enemy of God. Now, you may not like to think, good Christian, that you are trying to thwart Jesus and his good work. But every single sin of yours does just that. Every single sin within you that you ever think or act upon blocks you from receiving the fullness of life that Jesus is promising to you. Every time you fall into temptation, you're not following Jesus to the cross. You're pursuing your own death. And so Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me if you're trying to save your life. That means if all you're focused on is the things of this world and the things of man, If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose yourself, if you take those things to the cross, you will find life. Give Jesus control over all things. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. This is so counter-cultural that not even Google understands it. This last week, I ran a Google search because I thought maybe I'll tell the people a nice inspirational story about somebody who gave up everything and found new meaning on the other side of sacrificing their whole life. So I ran a little Google search. Google, tell me a story about somebody who gave up everything. And here's what I got in response from Google. I got a story about never giving up. (laughs) Never give up. Never ever give up. The story of never giving up. Ten success stories of people who refuse to quit pursuing their dreams. Google, I said, tell me a story about somebody who gave up everything and you tell me never give up. All right, listen, I get it. I get it. It's the way of man. It's the way of this world. I get it. I I, I myself understand our natural inclination in this world, and in particular in this culture, is I can't give up. I can't stop. I must succeed. I have to get through this difficult thing. I will pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I will get through it, and I will prove to everyone that I have made it. 
But if you live like that, basically you're just living to die. If that's all there is, your whole life is based on your success or your failure. There's nothing more, no greater purpose than to be achieved than what you can muster on your own. My friends, Jesus was offered everything by the devil. Everything. And he said, no. Satan makes you the same offer every single day. You want it? You want it? You want possessions? You want protection? You want power? You want it? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. What are you going to say? Jesus says, deny it. Let it die. And follow me. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What good is it to have everything that the world offers and not have Jesus? If that's the case, you just live and then you die. Your whole existence is living to die. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be very clear here. Jesus is not saying this. He is not saying don't do anything. Just sit back, be passive, let the world tell you what to do. Don't worry, I've got you. Everything's going to be fine. Don't, you don't have to work, nothing. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, get to work. Get to work, but get to work following me. Don't, don't, put, your, don't put your possessions or your pride or your protection or your power or your career or your status or your wealth, don't put that out there as your pursuit and tag me along as a nice addition to your life, thinking that I'm going to help you out whenever you feel it's convenient. He says, follow me. Follow me, and I will fill your life with more than you could ever imagine. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. And if you follow me, you got to follow me wherever I go. And where did Jesus go? First to the cross, then to the tomb, and then out the other side. If you want to follow Jesus, you follow him to the cross. First, deny yourself, lay down your sin. Let it die with him. But Jesus will never leave you abandoned in the grave. When you follow him, you follow him out to the other side where there is the newness of life in Jesus Christ. And if you follow Jesus, you're not living to die. You're actually dying to live. You're dying to live. Are, do you want this? Do you desire to live truly and fully alive in Christ, then take up your cross and follow him. His way is the way of humility and even suffering. Do you want to go there? Give me Jesus. That's all I want. Give me Jesus. Jesus, put me in a proper position with you so I follow you because I want to follow you to the cross. I want to follow you through the empty tomb. I want to follow you into the resurrection to eternal life, Jesus. The only real life is life in Christ. Keep your eyes on him. Follow him, because this is not just for you, but it's also what Jesus is doing through you. 
for the sake of other people. The way of Jesus is the way of discipleship. It is following. And it's like one big chain, one big game of follow the leader. Jesus says, follow me. And we follow him. And, and then we, we see people in this world that are struggling, carrying the weight of the baggage of their sin, and we say, take it off. Take it off. Lay it at the cross. Follow, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. My dear friends, take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow Jesus to the way of everlasting life. In his name, amen. Amen.